Well, like a lot of younger kids, when I was much, much younger, not, not you know, 10 or 12, but when I was really a little one, uh, I did not like thunderstorms. I, I didn't like being in my room and, and having the, you know, the, the room shaking, and I didn't know what to make of it until one night my mom explained the science to me of thunderstorms. She said, don't worry, that is just the sound of the angels bowling up in heaven. And I thought, oh, well, that's good, but uh, could, Mommy, could you go tell them to bowl somewhere else? I, don't like, I really don't want to hear it. Well, I'm, I'm much more sophisticated now, not too much more, but I'm much more sophisticated now. And so now I watch the Weather Channel every once in a while, and I do have a healthy respect for uh, the weather. Now, in the ancient world, they didn't have the Weather Channel, and the pagan worshipers, the people who worship the false gods, they thought that the thunder was the voice of the false gods. And uh, in the promised land, the land of Canaan, the Canaanites, their false god was a fellow by the name of Baal. Some people say Baal. I say Baal because it's quicker. And I'm from New York, so the faster I can do things, the, the happier I am about it. And uh, with that shout of thunder, they thought that Baal brought rain. And so they loved that because they knew they were a farming community and agricultural society, and that they would say, well, this is great because he brings rain to us and he blesses us, and then we're able to have crops. Now, a few weeks back in Psalm 8, we sat with David. Now, David lived about 1,000 years before Jesus did, and we, we, he was looking up at the stars. We sat with David looking up at the stars. He was a shepherd boy when he was young. He eventually became the great King David, if you will, the gold standard of all the kings. And this week, though, we're not going to sit with David look, gazing up at the stars, but we're going to stand with David. We don't know where he is. Maybe he's outside a cave. Maybe he's on a balcony. And he's looking out, and he sees that a storm is approaching. Uh, the lightning is in the distance. It's interesting to watch lightning in the distance and hear the thunder. And as it gets closer, the, the lightning and the thunder kind of come in closer distance. And it has to do with the, the speed of sound. And you can watch stuff like that. And so uh, the lightning is in a distance. And David's looking and a slight rumbling can be heard. But it seems to be getting closer and closer. And before you know it, the storm arrives the lightning is flashing. The thunder shakes the house. You look out the window and the trees are bending. So what happens? Well, we might go to the Weather Channel. We might get a notice on our cell phone that an extreme storm is coming. And the Weather Channel, if you go there, they go to the satellite. Let's go to the satellite. Let's see what's, what's happening with this storm. The pagans, what do they do? They worship their false god. They're excited that he's, bringing, that he's bringing rain. But David tells us, when a thunderstorm comes, I hear the voice of the Lord. Now, some of you are much more sophisticated than me, and you're thinking to yourself, don't get a big head, that's not really saying very much, but you're thinking to yourself, uh, listen, it's, I know what thunder is. Uh, it's, not the, it's not angels bowling. It's not the voice of God. It's science. Science has the answer. Now, now, it's interesting. A lot of people are that way, but a lot of other people now are sort of 
against science and not, not Christian things, but in, in just out in our culture. So some interesting things that go on with that. But if, if you think that he's trying to scientifically show you, David, that God's, that thunder is God's voice, you say that's as silly as the angels bowling, I will guarantee you that you will miss the point of Psalm 29. Now, some of you, uh, if you're with us tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm glad that you're here. And you might say this. I'll hear this from a lot of people. And they'll say, um, I believe in science, not God. Just for two seconds, just for two seconds, just give me the fact that there is a God. What a scientist. I mean, just everything from the, the atmosphere to the tilt of the planet, the, the, way, the, the way the planets are, the oceans, uh, just all of the, the food chain, all of the way our bodies work and stuff like that. If, in fact, there is a God, what a scientist. In fact, one of the reasons why I have always believed in God, didn't really know Jesus, but didn't know God personally. We've been talking about that on Sundays. You can listen to last Sunday's message. We talked some about that. Is that the math of creation just doesn't work for me. It, it's just too astounding that this could be an accident. But again, thank you for giving me uh, two seconds that God exists and what a scientist he would be. While I got you a little bit thinking about it. What an artist. I mean, just, just the beauty of, of nature. What, what an architect. What an incredible architect. What an incredible engineer he is. So creative, so scientific, so mathematical, so intelligent. And, and while People run for cover from the storm. David sees God as being over the storm. And it's, a, it's an illustration really as the way he sees God as being over history and over the world. And that is a theme that is throughout the scriptures. So Psalm 29 tells us that it is a psalm of David. And verse 1 and 2 says... Give, some of your versions say, ascribe unto the Lord, unto Yahweh, O you mighty ones. Some versions say, you heavenly beings. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give, verse 2, give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord. The idea is bow down to the Lord in the beauty of or some versions say, the splendor of his holiness. Now, the psalmist says, David says, to, to give or to ascribe. I like the word ascribe better. Why? Because give is a common word. Ascribe is a, is a word that makes us take notice. Ascribe, uh, which, and what does that mean? It, it means to, to acknowledge, ascribe to God, acknowledge, but only to the Lord. We don't ascribe to anyone else. And who is told to uh, ascribe or acknowledge the Lord's glory and strength? It appears to be 
the angelic hosts of heaven. Now, some people have made the case very well that he could be talking to humans as well. Uh, Psalm 96, he does talk to humans with very similar type language. So let's just say for our purposes that God is talking to everyone. He's talking to the, those that are in the angelic realm. He's talking to those of the heavenly beings, and he's talking to people. And, and it's fair, again, it's fair to say that the heaven-bound people of God are addressed as well as they would probably, this is probably some sort of a priest talking to the people in the temple. They would use these as songs or a call to worship. This would probably be the call to worship. The Psalms are often sung in the, in the second temple. And so they would, um, they would use these. They would sing them probably in the first, but th- we know that that was this, really the second temple songbook. And so the people would be coming to the temple and they would be coming to offer themselves and their sacrifices to God. And so here the, the, the priest would come out and he would, he would call the people to worship, call the people to attention. And so he calls them and he talks here in verse 1 and verse 2 about the glory of the Lord. What does that word mean? That word glory actually means weighty, W-E-I-G-H-T-Y, or, or heavy, that we are called to the, the glory, the, the heaviness of the Lord. And in the ancient world, when something was heavy, it was often attached to worth. They would have scales, and they would, have, they would say, well, you know, I've got so many you know, pounds of, or kilos or whatever of this, and so they would, it would be like if you had like gold or something like that or money or, or some type of grain or, or agricultural type product. And so everyone is called to declare the Lord's majesty and to declare the Lord's power, not the Canaanite gods. Now, this was a problem throughout the land of Israel throughout their history, really up until the time we saw in the book of Habakkuk. It it sort of ended there, and it ended when God took the people away to Babylon when the Babylonians invaded. That sort of ended that false god worship. And God really wanted to kill that attraction, and that's why he had to go to such great lengths. Now, for you theology buffs, you might find this interesting. Some of you may or you may not. I think there's actually a tremendous American church application in it. The Canaanites were what we call polytheists. Poly, many, theists, God. They worshipped many, many gods. And perhaps you heard of that word before. It's a very, very popular word, polytheism. And that's what the Canaanites were. They had a God for everything. And, you know, Baal was kind of the big cheese. But, but they, had, they had gods for everything. And that was very common in the ancient world. But many of the Israelites were what we call henotheists. Henotheists. That's not something you would hear uh, very often. You say, um, well, what's the difference? Well, let me, first again, I'm going to say again, I think it's, believe it or not, I think it's super common in the American church. I think there's a lot of henotheists in the American church because it's so powerful and it's so subtle. They're, they're both there. You say, okay, so what does it mean? Um, henotheism is a system in which many gods exist, but 
one God is primary and has your loyalty. So it's a system where many God exists, but one is primary. He's way up above every, all the rest of them, but, but, and he has your loyalty, but the others exist. That explains how people can say that they are a Christian, yet they worship the sex goddess. That is how people can say that they are a Christian, and yet they worship the pleasure goddess. Or, or, they, or they worship mammon, money, or, or position, or prestige, or respect, or security, or whatever it is. They have such a close attachment to it that it actually vies for their affection in a competition, if you will. Let's call it a glory war that goes on in your soul for who will really have your heart. They're also here in, in verse 1 and 2 called and commanded to acknowledge the Lord's strength, his power. Those would be things that would be often associated with his ability to save people. This is the worship of the mighty warrior God, uh, something that the angels regularly saw and the people saw periodically and would read about in the scriptures. Sadly, today, Many Christians shy away from the warrior God. They say, I don't read the Old Testament because it's just too bloody and there's too many battles and I don't like it. To which I usually say, then I guess you skip the book of Revelation too. Because the book of Revelation is, 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 is more of a battle than, the, than anything in the Old Testament. And, and so if we fail to acknowledge the warrior God... I believe in many ways that makes our worship inadequate because we sing of the strength of God, but do we really believe it? We, we sing of the power of God, but do we really believe it? Let me ask you a question. You, we were just singing about strength of the Lord. What, what, what runs through your mind? I think when we sing songs like that, I think of you know, the, the Moses leading the people out of Egypt. And they come up to the Red Sea, and, and they look in back of them, and there's the Egyptian army, and, and the people, and then there's the water in front of them, and the people are yelling at Moses. And Moses kind of has the attitude of, uh, you know, God's like, come on, get up and go, Mo, let's go. And it's almost like God tells the people, we're going to walk across the water, and the strength of God, I mean, the, the water will eventually engulf the Egyptian army. But I love kind of Moses' thinking is sort of like this. He kind of looks back at the Egyptians and he says, I'm afraid of them. And he looks at the water and he says, I'm afraid of the water. But he looks up to the sky and he goes, but I'm terrified of him. We're walking. And so is that what we think of when we think of the strength and power of God or it's like, uh, you know, we don't really want to talk about that. I know one thing as a, as a guy, as a dude, I love warrior God. I love the idea of, oh, that's why we like, a lot of us guys like women too, but we like superhero movies. My wife's always like, why do you like these movies? I go, I love it when the good guy comes in and crushes the bad guy. I just love to watch that happen. 
And so really we have the warrior God and, and we are to worship the strength of God. The same could be said when he says worship the Lord in the beauty or the splendor of his holiness. Another aspect of God, the, the beauty of his purity, the beauty of who he is. And I think in the same way, we are inadequate for it. Now you say, Pastor Jim, come on now, you're bumming us out. You're saying we're inadequate to worship the strength of God and we're inadequate to worship the beauty of God. Why in the world would you ever say that? Because the Bible has to tell us to do it. If the Bible has to tell us to do it, why is that? You ever have somebody says to you, why do you keep telling me to do something? You go, if you did it, I wouldn't have to keep telling you to do it. And it's something the Lord is constantly telling us. And so what is he telling us? That worship is the total engaging of our mind in our hearts as we bow before in the creator king in humility. This is a big part of the Christian life. Loved ones, without both, without your, without your mind and your heart being engaged and without the humility to bow before the king, the Christian life will not be that easy. Even if you read your Bible and you pray and you go to church, the pull of henotheism, the pull of other gods competing. Remember that glory war, that glory war going on in your soul? That competition is great and it is very hard to resist. That's why I am not a big fan of saying God is first in my life. I really, I shy away from saying that. Why? Well, because what's second? What's third? What's fourth? Instead, I like to think of God as being overall. There are other aspects of my life that are very, very important. But I don't like to, to categorize things. It's because that to me then, sometimes we say, well, I have my quiet time. What is that? If you don't know what that means, I spend time with God in the morning. So what do you do? Forget him the rest of the day? I don't want to do that. I want to be mindful of him all day, all day long. God's holiness is who he is. Yet it's interesting that his holiness is also, as we're taught in the New Testament, how he clothes his people with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. You know, this attire, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he takes away your sin, he puts it on Jesus on the cross, and he takes Jesus' righteousness, and he puts it on you, he clothes it on you, if you, if you will, he covers your sin. Picture you're all dirty and muddy, and then God just gives you a nice shower and a bath, and then puts a beautiful white bathrobe on you. That, that is what happened. That righteous attire, did you know this, is required to enter heaven. It's like you don't see the guys walking on the moon without spacesuits. They need a special suit, a special attire for heaven. And the same thing is true to get into heaven. You must have that attire. And we're only given that when we trust in the Lord Jesus, the Savior King, the Savior God. So here we have a call to worship in these two verses to join the heavenly beings around the throne of the God of glory. And his glory shines for the whole world to see. It shines through the entirety of the creation. Did you know, friends, that the book of Romans tells us that, that 
the creation is one of the reasons that God will be able to say to you, you knew I existed. You knew I existed. And included in the, in the shining of the creation is of God's people. We are the light of the world. We are to shine for Jesus. Once again, we remind ourselves when our minds and our wills are engaged in worship, our hearts and emotions will follow. Let me say that again. Sometimes you come into church and you're like, oh, I don't really feel like worshiping. I don't like this song. We did this last week. Or what is this? What is that? We have all these different things going on in our head. But when our minds are engaged, when we, when we set aside all the difficulties of our world, when we engage our will, we actually say, I'm going to focus, and we engage in worship, our hearts and our emotions will follow. We've been saying this, we've seen this over and over in the Psalms. Don't get it mixed up. So this is an incredible call to worship. It's, the, it's as if the priest is saying, let's not be dry, let's not be dull, and as that's how David is going to move us into verses 3 through 9. And so he takes us to the thunderstorm, and it starts out over the sea. Verse 3, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. Another version says, over the vast waters, or over the mighty waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. So notice this term now he's giving us, the voice of the Lord. So David hears the storm in the distance over the waters. He hears the voice of the Lord in the storm. I don't know what water he's over. It's quite possible he's over the, the Mediterranean Sea. Now, the Scripture often portrays the mighty seas as being controlled by the breath of the Lord, the voice of the Lord. God just goes, and the, and the seas part. And a storm on the sea is to be respected. We have a friend we talked about a few years ago by the name of Jonah. He learned that a storm on the sea is to be respected. The apostles, fishermen. Jesus, we're going to take you over to the other side. Some of us are fishermen. We got this. We've been doing this since we were little kids with our dads. You go take a nap in the boat, and we got this one, Jesus. Well, they found out this storm was so intense that they got caught in. They are like, get the carpenter. Get the carpenter, right? Get him up. And Jesus speaks to the storm and, and calms the storm. And so it's to be respected. If a storm, if you grew up near the water, I grew up on the water. And so we, we would be out in, and I grew up in a sailing community, be out on a boat or a motorboat or something like that. And you saw the clouds in the distance and you saw the, the, the lightning and you heard the thunder, you beelined it for the shore. You did not want to be there when a storm came. You people, some of you grew up down in the, in the islands, and I can remember being down in the Caribbean and be this beautiful day, just beautiful. And people would be going, get out of the water, get out of the water. And you'd be thinking like, what do you mean get out of the water? And they'd be like, look, storm. And I'd be like, oh, that thing is so far away. You've got to be kidding me. And in a matter of moments, you're in a typhoon. It's just absolutely, positively incredible. Storms are to be feared and respected. 
But here we see that the sea fears the Lord, and the Lord is not afraid. Now, here's the interesting thing. Remember I said it could be uh, over, over the Mediterranean Sea. Jerusalem is very far from the Mediterranean Sea. You can't hear the Mediterranean Sea from Jerusalem. But David says, but you can hear the voice of the Lord. It, it's mightier than the sea. And again, we respect the sea, but the voice of the Lord carries that far. This is another what we call theophany, an appearance of God. And notice the Lord's voice doesn't speak. It thunders. He says it actually thunders. Uh, and so much for weak and powerless God. So much for a little meek and mild-mannered God. The voice of the Lord in verse 3 is described as powerful and full of majesty. In other words, all creation knows that the powerful king has arrived. I can't help but think this is the same fear and respect that we should have for the word of God, the actual voice of the Lord. I know sometimes we sit down to read our Bible and, and we're just like, you know, oh, okay, I gotta read my Bible. Or, or we go to church and we're thinking, all right, we're gonna read our Bible. And, you know, normally on, on Sunday mornings at our church, we, we stand up to read the scripture. Why? Because we want people to know God is speaking, God is addressing his people. And how important it is for us to listen to that. How careful we should be, though, not only to give attention to it, but to hear it and obey it. Remember the Jews, they, they, didn't, they would say, if you, you say, oh, I, I heard the Lord, but I'm not obeying what he said. They would say, well, then you didn't hear. Some people are, are known for saying, you know, uh, I'm Christian, I'm just not walking with the Lord. A lot of people would contest that and say, do you say it in such an easy fashion? Are you sure that you're a Christian? We, we are not to reject the voice of the Lord. As we learned last Sunday, God prunes us sometimes. And, and sometimes if you reject the voice of the Lord, you're going to find yourself in the midst of that storm. And God's like, are you listening now? Now can you hear me? Verse 5 and 6, the storm comes inland. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters, another version says breaks, another shatters, the cedars of Lebanon. So these are these large, large trees. It shatters the trees. Verse 6, he also makes, he, he makes them also skip or leap like a calf. Uh, Lebanon, probably talking about Mount Lebanon, and Syrian, that's Mount Hermon in northern Israel, like a young wild ox. So the voice of the Lord is, it just, you ever see a tree that gets struck by lightning and it kind of splits in half? Here the Lord, the, David tells us that the voice of the Lord shatters the biggest trees. That, and those trees, interestingly enough, were, were the ones that were used to build the altars and temples to the false gods. The forests were considered sacred because they were the 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 places that the false gods considered to be sacred, yet now they are brought down low simply by the voice of the Lord. The same is true for these big mountain ranges, of which the mountain ranges were thought to be the home of the false gods. And so here David tells us, when the Lord comes through, the mountains shake. And, 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 and they jump 
like skittish animals. They're just terrified of the Lord. Now, it's, is it possible that, that he's also telling us that these mighty trees and these mountains also symbolize the weakness of the false gods? Well, they're not really weak because they don't exist. Or perhaps even the pride of man. Verse 7 through 9, the voice of the Lord divides, some versions say, flashes the flames of fire. Now, uh, another version says, strikes with flashes of lightning. Now, that could be a dig at Baal. Baal was also, because he brought the storm, he brought the rain, he was also the lightning god. Verse 8, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. Uh, kind of interesting, it's, as I was reading this, I was just pausing at each verse, and I'm, I'm, I'm feeling, you ever been out in like a sandstorm, and I kind of felt like the sand hitting my face? Verse 9, the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. Now, is he just like, hey, have a baby? I don't think so. I think it has to probably do with fear. And strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says, or everyone cries out, glory, glory. And so that when the people are called to worship, and then they sense the, the power of God and the strength of God, they yell out glory. So they're hearing, they're feeling, their senses are being you know, used by David, the way he's writing. They see all that's going on, and they call out and they cry out glory to God in fearful, joyful worship. They're, they're, they're just in the moment. They're absorbed into what is going on. So it appears, as we're reading, that the storm is now moving over the area where Moses spent time in the wilderness during the Exodus. And we know that, that up in those mountains that God would speak, and the people were like, hey, Mo, why don't you go talk to God, and we'll just sit down here, and you tell us what he had to say, because the people were, were in terror, terrorizing fear of God. And it was there that God spoke and thundered, and the Lord still speaks, he still thunders today if you understand how to listen to him. And you're like, what, what does that mean? I'll just say it from my own life. Sometimes I'm reading the Bible and I kind of go like, oh, almost like Kramer on Seinfeld. I just, I get kind of stunned for a second. And, and I feel that thundering voice of God. His voice is powerful. His, vo his voice breaks the wills of men and women, causes them to tremble, which you say, I, I, what's the purpose of God causing us to tremble? Well, they call out glory to God. So you go like, how can I be trembling and be worshiping God at the same time? It's just the way it goes. It's just the way it goes. Yet, part of that comes from knowing that in His grace, instead of destroying us, instead of striking us with lightning, God calls us into His kingdom. Verse 10, he says, the, the Lord sat enthroned at the flood. Some versions say over the flood. Uh, scholars want to debate, is this Noah's flood or when he created the world? We won't get into that. And the Lord sits, or he's enthroned, some versions say, as king forever. Verse 11, the Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. So the storm is raging. I mean, it's absolutely going insanely crazy. And yet, 
God's true people, those who trust in him, will be given strength and will be blessed with peace. In other words, they will have a calm about them. They, they will be filled with hope in the midst of a storm. That's because they know that when God judges, when God thunders, his people are safe in the arms of the eternal king. And I want you just to think about that for a second. When you know that you're safe, that really helps to kill fear. And so sometimes when you're afraid, you need to really start preaching to yourself. You know, we've said many times before, we listen to ourselves too much, and we need to start preaching to ourselves and to say, I'm in the arms of the Lord. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm not going to fear. I think it also helps us to know that when we're in the arms of the Lord, I think it also battles, among other things, insecurity. A lot of people are very, very insecure. And they're always afraid of what people think of them, or they're always afraid that they're not liked, or they're afraid that they're not good enough, or something like that. But yet, when you know that you're held in the arms of the Lord, we'll be talking about this Sunday, you, 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 just, you just, in the next two weeks, you just do your best. That's it. You do your best and you leave the results up to God. You, you can't do anything more than that. Now, does God hold us responsibility for our attitude and our effort? He sure does. But, you know, God has gifted us and there's some things we can do and there's some things that we can't. How unusual that the world and nature is turned upside down and yet, in the midst of that, God's people are given strength for the storm. You say, how is that possible? Because God's people know and need to remind themselves that God always rules and reigns as king. And though you might be shaken, though the world might be shaken, God is never shaken. We got that? God is never shaken. I couldn't help but as I was thinking about this of, of 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah had a big victory. You know, he, he, he goes out against the prophets of Baal and he's like, oh yeah, well my God's going to take it to your punk God and he did. And then he was running for his life because he thought you know, he was going to get killed and he's hiding in a cave. And so the Lord promises his presence to him. In 1 Kings 19, 11 says, Then he, the Lord, said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Then Elijah went out to the entrance to the cave. He was still hiding in there. It seems the Lord is telling us, if you trust me in the midst of the storm, you will find peace. You will find a calmness of heart. You will come into a state of 
well-being. There will be a quietness in your heart in the storms of your life. Now, I wasn't born yesterday. It's quite possible it won't seem that way. But let me tell you something. When you experience strength in the storm, that tells you that peace is on the way. Let me say that again because it's very important because sometimes people say, with all you're going through, man, how are you hanging in there? How are you doing this? How are you holding up? I can't believe this. When you experience strength in the storm, you can know that calm and peace is on the way. You see, storms make a lot of people doubt God. But as we've been talking about on Sundays, abiding in Jesus actually gives us assurance in the midst of the storm, because even in the midst of the storm, we can detect the presence of God. Talk to someone who's been a Christian for a very long time, a follower of Jesus. I'm not just talking, a, you know, just a rank and file. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Somebody who's a really committed follower of Jesus Christ, and they will be able to tell you how God spoke to them in the storm. And the confidence they got in the storm seeing his power and his sovereignty, meaning that he's in control of everything and that he is over the storm. Wow. Do we need that now or what? I mean, really, our world is literally on fire. It is on fire. It, it, we are in the midst of several different storms that are going on right now. And a lot of these storms, especially the, the worldwide pandemic, is a storm that only a few people knew was coming. And you got these people writing books years ago, and you heard they were warning people years ago, and nobody was listening to them, just like nobody listened to the prophets, just like nobody listened to Jesus, and they killed him. He's like, the storm of God's judgment is coming. People don't listen. Out of sight, out of mind. You, you know, things like, I remember things like, Ebola, watching the people walk in those suits and thinking like, oh, that's sad that happened down there, man. That's really, that's awful. People don't ever think it's going to happen to them. But the scripture tells us it is appointed unto man to die, and women to die once. And then the judgment, it says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Somehow we, we think that this is not going to happen to us. I wonder sometimes are these storms or the situations we find ourselves in, where we are right now as a world, is this what it takes for God's people to experience God's powerful presence again? Or do you just want Jesus, my forever friend? You know, that's what we tell, some people sometimes tell people four, four years old. Don't you want Jesus to be your forever friend? Yes, I do. I'm, 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 I'll be honest with you, I do. But not the way I want an all-powerful, eternal, unchanging, sovereign warrior king. <laughs> that's what I want right now. That's the, that's the, that's the only one who's going to set, take, take this world and do something with it. 
because things are so crazy. You know, we began with this call to worship. Very interesting. Fast forward a thousand years later. When Jesus was born, the angels sang a song uh, like, the, like the beginning of this psalm, Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. You know, I've noticed things. I, I, whenever I'm going through certain things, I try to take an inventory and, and just say, okay, what's going on with me? How do I process this in light of the word of the Lord? And, and then how do I now grow from it and hopefully not keep replicating certain mistakes? Well, one thing I, I do know is that when something robs me of my peace, it's because I'm not in touch with the glory of the Lord. See, if I just think of Jesus as my friend, I'm thinking like, ah, oh, my friend's not around. But, but when, I, when my peace is at stake, it's a, it's a glory check. Am I really, really focused and aware of the glory of God? John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3 says, it's talking about Jesus, says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, Jesus, the Word, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. So what's John telling us? That, that the Word, Jesus, just spoke, and the voice of the Lord spoke, and the universe leapt into existence. With a Word, with a powerful voice, Jesus calmed storms, he healed people. He fed people. He even raised people from the dead. John 2.19 says this, Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. He's saying, I'm going to do this. John tell, clarifies, oh, he's talking about his body. And yes, Jesus died on the cross, but three days later, Jesus rose from the dead simply by the voice of the Lord. You say, well, did Jesus raise himself from the dead or did God raise him from the dead? Exactly. You got it. We talked about that last Sunday, how, how they work together. The bad news is that life is a storm and the greatest storm of all is death and it is coming. Have you thought about how you will survive it? The fact that Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins and rose from the dead shows us that he can raise the dead. There's only one condition. One. You have to respond to what Jesus has done. Lived a perfect life in your place. Died the sinner's death on the cross in your place. Rose from the dead to prove that God was satisfied with the payment for sins and that he can raise you from the dead. Only one condition. You need to respond in this way. You need to turn from living for yourself and turn to God and put your trust in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news is if you do, you will hear His voice in the storm. And you will know that His, his voice will ultimately, His promises ultimately, will save you from the storm of judgment and death.
and his voice will help you navigate everything that you are going through right now. I pray that your soul hears that voice and I pray that your soul responds with faith, with confidence, with joy as God brings you strength and peace in the midst of the storm. Well, let's pray.